Good morning, and welcome to Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Artie Lightstone. You can listen to us on jmandtheam.org or nachumsiegel.com. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. We're very excited this morning to uh, have a brand new guest on. Uh, talking about a topic we've spoken about uh, a couple of times in the past on this show, Tech Talk, uh, but one that, uh, based upon the uh, audience response, has been one that uh, that is near and dear uh, to many of us. We're going to speak a little bit about education technology, but in, in some ways uh, in, a, in a different vein, in a different approach than we've spoken about in the past. Um, also, a belated Happy Mother's Day uh, to everybody out there. Um, who uh, celebrated or was celebrating or uh, honoring Mother's Day. A special shout-out to my mom, um, who I believe is one of our most devoted and, and loyal listeners. So uh, so uh, thank you so much for that, and, and happy Mother's Day to uh, to everybody. For those people who are uh, um, interested in such things, uh, you know, the Twitterverse sort of exploded now. Uh, it, it's, it's eight, nine days ago. Um, but, uh, but when Kevin Durant, who plays basketball for the Oklahoma City Thunder, when he won the MVP, Most Valuable Player Award, uh, if you want a good, um, lesson to watch with your kids, with your family, something that speaks, uh, near and dear to the character traits of, uh, of gratitude and, uh, Thanksgiving, uh, especially regarding Mother's Day right around the corner, uh, so Google or YouTube, Kevin Durant, acceptance speech for MVP, uh, really a powerful and meaningful, uh, speech, uh, from, and, and sports heroes doesn't equate with role model, uh, certainly not frequently forget all the time. This, this truly was a phenomenal example and something that I look forward to watching together with my kids when they get a little bit older. We are excited to welcome to our show this morning, uh, a friend of mine. Uh, we've been friends now for, uh, for, for quite a while. Somebody that I've watched him pursue his academic career and, uh, and now move into the business world. We're excited to welcome Jason Buell onto the line. Are you there, Jason? I am. Hi, Ari. Thanks so much for having me this morning. Well, thank you for coming on. Let me tell everybody a little bit who you are. Uh, Jason was actually introduced to me via, I believe, our second guest that we ever had here on Tech Talk, Will Bronstein. Uh, certainly that show generated a tremendous amount of interest and intrigue and was quite a way to kick off my hosting career here on Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. Uh, Will said if you want to talk about tech and you want to meet people who sort of bridge Two different worlds, which is a lot of what we do here on the show. You got to have a chance to meet Jason. Jason is a co-founder of a company called Born Digital. We'll hear a lot about that in a moment. It is an award-winning startup that has developed an adaptive, interactive reading platform for students in grades four through twelve. As the head of product and science, which is again a job title you don't actually hear outside of the technology world, he helped create books that grow, which. I am so excited to talk about the first multi-level text e-reader for tablets. Jason is also an adjunct assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at Columbia University. His research examines the cognitive neuroscience of emotion regulation, executive attention, and cognitive training, all things that my mother 
wish that it had a little bit more skill in it. Another shout-out vis-a-vis Mother's Day. He has published 15 academic papers and journals, including Psychological Science, Nature Reviews, Neuroscience, Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, and the Annals of New York Academy of Sciences. Has been cited over 850 times. He was recently awarded a Silver Nugget Award, which is pretty cool, actually, for Teaching Excellence by Culpa, Columbia student-run course evaluation website. Jason also serves as a scientific consultant for Mon Clarity, a startup developing online cognitive training games, and Cognito, a leader in creating online role-playing simulations to shape health behaviors. Jason earned his BA at Pomona College and his PhD at Columbia. Uh, before I uh, really bring Jason on and beginning to discuss things, just uh, follow Jason on Twitter at Jason, and you spell his last name B, like boy, U-H-L-E. He's an interesting follow. I just uh, started following him a couple weeks ago, and, and, and I wouldn't say that there's, uh, you get inundated with tweets, but, uh, but the tweets that, uh, that he tweets uh, uh, count, and they're always a, a good read. So, uh, Jason, with that, good morning. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Uh, thanks uh, for saying all those uh, kind of words about me. Well, you know, yeah, to, uh, have you on. You got to make sure that the audience understands exactly who we have an opportunity to speak with this morning. And 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 uh, amongst all those things, you can judge people a little bit by the bio that they send, but by the company that you keep. To me, is a lot more important. And I've hung yeah. out with people who are friends and associates and partners of yours. And uh, and what you what you hear from them actually would be a much longer uh, introduction. All uh, all positive. So so Jason, <laughs> when you, when you look at your bio. There's a heavy emphasis on academics, on education itself. So the synthesis to education technology and companies there make a lot of sense. But can, can you walk the audience through sort of how y- you shaped yourself from an academic perspective, why this is a passion, why this is something of interest? And we'll get to the business stuff shortly. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so as you said, my background is in cognitive neuroscience and uh, for listeners who aren't familiar with uh, that area, it's really a hybrid of psychology and neuroscience. Uh, so what we do is we try to use, uh, we try to, to map the relationships between the brain and the mind, between neuroscience and psychology, and uh, so we can each we can use each to better understand the other. Uh, and then w- within that sort of broad area, uh, my focus was on. As you mentioned, executive control, working memory, attention, emotion regulation, um, really top-down control uh, in general, uh, which obviously has a lot of uh, applications uh, to school. And actually, I'm really, I'm really excited to see the increased interest in those topics in education in this country in general. Uh, I see it when I just when I meet educators, uh, their eyes light up, and, and they often know things. They know about researchers, which is pretty funny. Uh, and they ask me questions, but often very good questions. Uh, I think that's really exciting. So um, for, for our audience who, who I think can probably intuit a little bit about what you are speaking about, can you give for those of us uh, who might be guessing but, but want some reassurance on our guesses, can you give us a little bit of practically where this study comes in in terms of, I don't know, day to day, but, 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 you know, sort of personal growth, why this study is, is important and what it does on a practical basis? Sure. Uh, well, yeah, that would probably be a, a whole episode or more of conversation, of course. But um, I think one area, just to pick one area, um, to talk about emotion regulation. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of uh, research being done, both 
in educational contexts, you know, with students in schools and outside of, of those contexts, uh, looking at the importance of emotion regulation. Uh, so we know that certain kinds of emotion regulation, or we could say self-regulation more broadly, how we control our impulses, our desires, how we uh, structure our lives uh, to put ourselves in a, a good position for success, these things really do predict outcomes. Uh, so there's been some groundbreaking work uh, showing uh, by people like, for example, Angela Duckworth at Penn, uh, showing that these characteristics are more important. They predict education outcomes, including grades, more than things like IQ. Uh, and, and, you know, it's not to say that uh, IQ isn't important, uh, that uh, that uh, training that has nothing to do with emotion isn't important. There are many factors, but, uh, but I think that understanding how self-regulation is central is, uh, is something that you know, is really emerging scientifically, and, and to, to their credit, I think educators have been very quick uh, to... Uh, pick up on this and to participate uh, in this conversation. In fact, Angela Duckworth, who's been uh, one of the main people leading the charge in this area, is a former educator, and that's one of the reasons, I think, why she had this insight. And when I speak to educators about this stuff, you know, many of them have uh, already seen this themselves in the classroom. They see how it's important for students to uh, learn to resist temptation uh, so you know, they don't think it's fun right now. They sit down, they work hard, they can get that later reward. As you said, this is, you know, so in some ways, this is just uh, what our moms have been telling us for generations. Um, but when we can quantify, when we can show the importance, and when we can come up with tools uh, to help uh, train these skills, uh, you know, then we can really make contributions. Yeah, that the last point that you say, I think that's a really critical one. How many schools? And this is a ridiculous question, I guess, when I phrase it as how many schools. But can you give us a, a feeling in terms of whether your field? has really made a significant impact yet on schools? Is this something we have, we are, our, our listening audience, just a phrase for you, uh, trends to be incredibly passionate about schools. Oftentimes we have educators, administrators, certainly um, parents of, uh, of many private school students listening and grandparents uh, who are, have almost all been involved in some way, shape, or form in the practical lay leadership component of private schools. Not all, but that's that's sort of where our audience trends. Um, has this been a field that has really made inroads yet, or are we just at the tipping point of that? Uh, definitely, we have not uh, had enough impact, and there's awareness uh, of that among uh, researchers. Um, it was about uh, just about a year ago, actually, I was at the Association for Psychological Science, which is the premier uh, scientific psychology meeting, and um, I was really impressed. There were quite a few uh, presentations and symposia uh, on education, uh, but but the message in so many places was, was consistent that you know, hey, we've known about things in psychological science for an awful long time that could make a big impact in in schools, uh, and and yet they haven't been uh, widely implemented. And the most striking example is uh, is the importance of distributed practice. Uh, so this doesn't really relate to emotion regulation, but it does relate to memory. Uh, and we've known about the importance of distributed practice. So you study something now, then you do something else, then you come back to it, then you do something else, then you come back to it. We've known that that's the most uh, efficient way to create long-lasting, durable memories since the 1800s. And yet, uh, if you go to pretty much any school and look at how they teach math, you'll see that they focus on 
a topic, you know, in the end of the, uh, that chapter in the textbook, you'll have a bunch of questions. Often you'll have a quiz or maybe a, a test if it's a large topic in class. And then it's typically dropped. You might return to it uh, for the final exam uh, or for some sort of state test. But uh, that, that's, we know from, from, uh, from research going back to the 1800s and pursued extensively since then, that that is not the way to produce long-lasting memories. It should be repeated exposure intermixed with lots of other learning. And I think that's so one if, of the places if, where... Please. I, I apologize for cutting you off. If, no if, you were, if you were building a school from scratch... If you were building a school from scratch, knowing what you know today, it would be important to have somebody from your field. Would it be important to have somebody with knowledge from your field to be able to help structure? Let's say you weren't, you, you had no obligations to make a school look like what it looked like beforehand. Would you, would you structure a school differently? Would you build a school day differently? Would you build a curriculum differently? Yeah, absolutely. I think that there are some things that we would like to do differently. And, you know, most important, for me, as a scientist, I think, is the spirit of trying things and testing them trying and seeing if they make a difference. And, of course, you can do that at the individual school level. That's important. Really, you need to do that at the larger level. This needs to be coordinated by larger institutions, government or, or other institutions that can coordinate uh, that kind of high-quality research into different practices. Uh, but I think that experimental approach can definitely be taken down even to the individual classroom. The teachers can see what seems to work, and, and certainly that's a... Uh, that's better than just sticking with you know, the, the, the same old thing and never testing anything new. But I think it would be terrific uh, for schools who are putting together a new school, trying to come up with new models, to think about having uh, a psychologist, uh, not a clinical psychologist, maybe clear, an experimental psychologist, or some of the deep background in educational research uh, on staff, or certainly to have uh, some consultants brought in, even at the, those early formative stages, um, you know, I think that uh, just walking through a classroom, uh, you know, I, I have ideas all the time, you know, based on my research experience, and sometimes I'm, I'm able to share these with uh, educators I meet. Um, and, you know, sometimes there might be very good reasons why those things don't work, and that's why it has to be an interaction, a dialogue. That's when uh, you really see the most productive outcomes, I think. Right, but it's important to have that voice at the table, even even if to be able to see things from a little bit of a different perspective. I, I wanted to take this moment to remind all of our listeners out there that you are listening to Tech Talk on the Nahum Siegel Network. I am your host, Arya Lightstone. We have a great guest on today, uh, Jason Buell. Am I pronouncing your last name correctly, Jason? Yes, perfect. Okay, perfect. Um, who, uh, as, as a scientist, uh, as an educator, um, as a as an education technologist today uh, is really enlightening us on a bunch of different issues. We're going to move to his company that uh, that he co-founded. Uh, but before we get to the company that he co-founded, we've been spending time uh, discussing both his background and and he's not coming at this from a business perspective or from a technology perspective, but really fundamentally from a uh, psychology neuroscience perspective and an educator's perspective as that turns uh, to where we can use those skills. Uh, in terms of education. I want to remind everybody out there that you're listening to us either on jmandtheam.org or nachumsegel.com. Um, we have an outstanding app. If you haven't downloaded it, uh, please do so. Uh, as always, we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. So, Jason, as uh, as you teach as well, um, as the assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at Columbia, you know, there, there's so many different 
areas where education changes. You, you see it like with the little kids, and we see a, a willingness to quote unquote experiment with with the younger kids, all preschool, kindergarten through third grade, and then you see maybe something's going on in middle school. There's a tremendous hesitancy to do different things with high school because quote unquote that counts. It's going to maybe affect how my kid gets into college or whatever else it might be. Uh, but you're there at one of the most advanced universities in the country. Um, do you see things changing there? Is that is that the forefront of change, or is that sort of the dinosaur that you feel is going to change last? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think there are I think there are some areas where we're seeing uh, change happening more quickly in higher ed, and some areas where it probably will lag. But we're seeing K twelve. Columbia in particular actually tried to be very early uh, into the um, online course world. Uh, and, and that effort, uh, which was about 10 years ago, maybe a little more than 10 years ago now, uh, failed pretty spectacularly. Columbia lost a fair amount of money on that. So they've been more cautious than some of their peers who have uh, recently rushed into uh, the, the MOOC space. Uh, so sure. that's been one counter. Um, but, uh, but, of course, that's just one aspect of educational uh, technology. Um, you know, I think that it's hard in the higher ed space, particularly somewhat ironically at the uh, more elite institutions, uh, because, and, and not everybody understands this, but really institutions like Columbia are research institutions, and the faculty members there uh, are, are focused primarily on research. So that's what you, where you need to have success to advance your career in most disciplines and most departments. Uh, it's about getting those big government grants, uh, getting those publications in top journals, uh, and so teaching is um, often secondary, and even though often technology, I think, can make life easier for educators, uh, there's always some set of time, and a lot of times uh, what people are trying to do in higher ed is get something down that works and then put as little time to as possible so you can maximize the time that you put into your research. And then I think that's a big issue, a big structural issue that uh, we need to think about in uh, higher ed. Uh, and, of course, there's many, you know, higher ed is, is a quite diverse place. There are many different kinds of institutions. I, for example, went to the Arts College, uh, and, uh, and there the focus is different. There's much less focus uh, for on research among the faculty, much more focus on teaching, and your success uh, is, uh, as a faculty member, is going to be determined much more by your success in the classroom. Um, so maybe I, I wonder if we won't see uh, more advances sometimes in some of these other places. Um, but, but yeah, that, that remains to be seen. Um, but for, for me personally, um, I had a long-standing interest in technology. Clearly, I was just, you know, through my research, I was thinking a lot about mind and brain. Um, but it was really uh, when I started teaching, um, uh, when I really started teaching my own courses, uh, that I started thinking about the uh, potential of educational technology and really thinking about something I might want to uh, become more seriously involved in. Um, so right after I uh, got my PhD at Columbia, I taught a large undergraduate course over 150 students. And, you know, I, I think the course went well. I got good reviews, and I certainly enjoyed it. But I just kept thinking, you know, this, this system doesn't really seem to make sense anymore. I spent a tremendous amount of time, uh, and this is something that's uh, surprising to a lot of students, but that first year when you're putting together all of your slides as a, as a, uh, as a professor, spend 10 to 20 hours per lecture, typically. That's a pretty standard um, amount of time. And, and that's why people don't want to revise those things so much every year. That's a, a huge outlay of time. 
Um, so I was spending all this time constructing all of my slides for each lecture, and, and I just kept thinking, like, this is really not an efficient use of students' time with me. It would make so much more sense if we could sort of fuse the textbook and the lectures, make them rich in multimedia, embed uh, assessments so they can get that continual check uh, of their understanding. Um, and then we could use our time together in class for uh, more meaningful uh, sort of face-to-face engagement, uh, deeper interrogation of the material. So that's, that's the flipped classroom model. And uh, it, it became clear to me that that was what you know, I really wanted to do before I'd ever heard of the flipped classroom model. Um, right. And, so, and, and I, to, I think that's got to be the future. To, to me, though, it's funny because Columbia, their teachers' college, not funny, I, I'm saying, and, and maybe you'll disavow me of, of my assumption, but there's so many silos in education. You would, you would assume that there would be tremendous partnership in between the teachers' college and, and your division and, and, and wouldn't, wouldn't, you know, Columbia or, or any of the other places that pride themselves on, on having phenomenal education institutions, you know, sort of besetting the standard for how classes change, but that—that's also not necessarily what we're here to talk about. So you, yeah. so you have a, a a significant educational background. You come from a significant academic PhD understanding of of uh, again, you you use the term, and I hadn't heard it before. Connecting the mind to the brain. Normally, my favorite yeah. quote is, you know, the largest distance in the human body is in, is in between the heart and the the heart and the mind. Um, but mm-hmm. I. I love your concept. I love the description of, of the brain and the mind being two different things that uh, when harnessed together, you can do outstanding things. with. So, so how did you go from that to Born Digital? And, and tell our audience, please, about what, what is Born Digital. Uh, absolutely. So I started to really think about these potentials through my own teaching. Uh, and so then I started to, to learn more about educational technology, sort of reading a lot, sort of going to events around the city. Uh, and I really like the idea. I, I love doing research. Uh, I think that it's, it's uh, crucial to the success of, of our, our nation, our, our world, that we have a rigorous um, scientific focus. But for me personally, uh, sometimes it wasn't as satisfying. It's a very slow, uh, torturous process, honestly, at times. Slow. It takes a long time. You think you learn something, and then, and then you do the, you, you try to do the replication study. It doesn't pan out. Um, and, and I really wanted to have a more immediate impact on people's lives. I came to realize, and, and that's why I love teaching so much because you could have a, that immediate impact. You could see it in the students' eyes right there in class, or when they come to you after class and you have uh, discussions with them. Um, so I, I really wanted, you know, it's just sort of a, a personal preference. I wanted that more immediate gratification, um, and, and so I started to see this potential. And uh, and then I, I um, had a, a my my partner actually my co-founder here at Born Digital uh, he started at Columbia uh, at the same time I did uh, but he was in the business school his background is in uh, media he worked before and after business school at Columbia in the media industry for a bunch of uh, major uh, television networks and History Channel and. Uh, ABC News, and uh, he worked also for California Newsreel and Thompson Reuters. Uh, so he has this deep experience in uh, media, and he actually came up with the idea for um, for our first product, Books That Grow. He was doing some volunteer work in some classrooms here in New York City, and he saw that what has become quite typical, and this has grown a lot over the last uh, few decades, research shows, uh, what has become quite typical was to group students by reading ability. You have diversity of reading abilities in the typical classroom, 
Uh, so teachers will create three, four groups within that classroom, uh, and uh, you'll have the slower readers in one group and more advanced readers in another and so on. Uh, and he saw that, and well, one thing that uh, he noticed is that, uh, and this is borne out by research, that it was often the, the boys and boys of color who were in the lowest groups. So there's this correlation with, with race and gender, um, which seems potentially problematic, you know, that that might reinforce uh, I, uh, racist ideas, even sexist ideas in the students, uh, both uh, you know, the ones who are in the lower group and the ones who are in the higher group. And, and that's, that's sort of concerned him. Uh, he also worried about you know, what, how it would feel for those students to be in that lower group. Um, and, uh, and he sort of think, you know, we could do something maybe with technology that would improve upon this. Uh, so he had the idea for Books That Grow, and, uh, and, and that's our, our, our first product here, currently our only product at uh, Born Digital. So in these books, we have one story. So one second. I'm, I'm going to cut you off for one second, Jason. First of all, I just want to remind everybody out there that they are listening to Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network with R.E. Lightstone, our guest, Dr. Jason Buell, uh, founder of Born Digital, uh, academic and educator first, uh, education technologist second. And, and the reason why I keep drilling down on that is because oftentimes you wind up with people on our show who come in who, who had a business idea and then they became experts in the field, uh, which there's nothing wrong with that. But for, for myself personally and for our audience, it's a great chance to hear somebody in the field who then embrace the technology. It's, it's to, to us awesome. Uh, we are here on the jmandtheam.org or on nachomsegel.com. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. Doc, before we get to the product and the depth of it, and and you painted a picture in terms of how there's a, not a perception, but research statistics demonstrate that there are certain quote-unquote categories of people who who uh, maybe their, their reading is not where it should be or get grouped in specific levels or whatever else it would be. C- can you tell all of us for a moment why reading is, is sort of one of the great... Wherever you start off in reading or wherever you conclude in reading it has so many indicators in terms of what your ability is to succeed in various different things and why this, out of all the things that education technology is focused on, reading is such a critical one. Um, c- can you speak to us about that for just a minute and then we'll get in a little bit more to Born Digital? Absolutely. Well, you know, I think uh, reading is, is the key that unlocks knowledge in every subject area. Uh, even in math, you have to sit down and read that math textbook, and, and very clearly in other areas that are important in history or social studies and science. Uh, if you can't read the material, and as you uh, as you advance through the grades, of course, that material becomes more and more complex. If you can't read the material, well, then you certainly can't learn it. So it ends up really uh, punishing you in all these subject area subject areas uh, if you can't read well. Starting early, and that's probably why we uh, we start to see a lot of the problems that emerge in middle school emerge. You start to have departmentalized classes, and those educators often aren't trained uh, in reading. They don't really think about reading uh, in particular. They think about the content they're teaching, uh, and so students who are struggling start to then not just be struggling readers, but they become struggling social studies students, struggling science students, and so on. And before long, they conclude, "Hey, you know, I'm not good at school," uh, and of course, that's uh, uh, highly problematic. Uh, so I think uh, that's probably the most important reason that we need to focus on reading uh, from an 
early age, and, uh, and we need to also make sure that we don't just teach reading, teach that ability to decode sentences, uh, to, to map the, the letters to sounds and, and know what those words are, but that we uh, make sure we advance comprehension as students uh, rise up through those grades. Right. So, so reading impacts everything that you do academically, and to a degree, you know, when when you leave your academic life, when it, your ability to to function in higher level positions in the workforce, reading, decoding, analyzing, all of those things play a critical role. And 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 this is why you start as young as fourth grade. And my guess is you'll probably trend even younger as the company continues to grow. These are skills that that are lifelong skills, and the the sooner, the earlier they're adjusted to. Uh, the more likely we would uh, to have success for these students, so they're not, uh, you know, pigeonholed into into one specific area. Okay, with that now, sort of as the introduction. So tell us how Born Digital addresses this challenge, please. So we've created this product, uh, Books That Grow, and we call it Books That Grow because the books themselves can grow in difficulty if the student becomes a better reader, uh, and we achieve that by having multiple versions of the text that all live with inside of that uh, that downloadable digital ebook. So that way, if you are a struggling reader, you'll get a version of that text that's not dumbed down. This is critical from our perspective. We don't want to dumb down the content. We just want to make it more accessible by making the, the sentences uh, shorter, by making the, uh, the grammar syntax less complex, by using the easiest vocabulary we can. Uh, at, the, at the lowest level, and then we want to have we have gradations. So that the, the idea is that as you become, as you're learning whatever content you need to learn, so it could be the social studies content, or it could be something you're reading in uh, English language arts class, you know, some sort of uh, story perhaps. As you're you're learning that content, uh, you're also being challenged as a reader wherever you are, whether that's ahead of your grade level, behind, or, or at grade level. Uh, so this is a personalization of the, the challenge of reading. And, you know, it's just like going to the gym, right? You're not going to get uh, so much benefit if you go to the gym and you lift a weight that doesn't challenge your muscles. You need to challenge your muscles if you want them to grow. The same is true with the mind. The same is true in the reading domain. And uh, that's sort of one side of, of the equation here. The other side is that this makes sure that this allows all students to access that content. So if you're a struggling reader, you're not going to be punished because you're a struggling reader in the sense that you're not going to get to learn that science material that you need to know so you can pass the test, so you can uh, you know, advance in your understanding of biology. Uh, so those are the two of the, the key benefits that we're trying to deliver by including multiple levels of text complexity uh, within a single uh, book. So, so show us, or explain to show us. <laughs> okay, well, I guess technology will get there one of these days. But if you can illustrate to us what a born digital classroom looks like, what the teacher does, what the teacher needs to know, what technology needs to be in a classroom in order for that to happen. Is this only a classroom tool? Is this something you can do for remediation at home? Ex explain what that classic classroom would look like and who would potentially be your uh, your born digital co uh, customers for books that grow. Sure thing. Uh, well, let me start by saying that uh, over time, uh, we intend to expand our offerings and do a number of things. Right now, we're trying to really focus on uh, the classroom environment. Uh, we think that, or let's, I should say, uh, school environment. So we think uh, there's the, the most chance for us to have a, a 
serious impact soon. Um, but later, we also will look at consumer versions of the product and so on. Um, in, our, in our pilots, we've seen there are a couple uh, very effective ways that uh, our product can be used. Uh, one uh, effective place is in a free reading context. A lot of schools, particularly I find uh, schools that um, are in uh, struggling economically disadvantaged areas, uh, they want to make sure those students are getting some reading time uh, and they you know that the chances is low that they'll be able to read much at home. So a lot of schools are setting aside a chunk of time every day and letting students either read anything or read from some select list of things. Uh, we think that's a place where our product can be really helpful um, because uh, it can uh, allow students to read material that's interesting to them. Uh, again, we don't dumb down the content. We don't make it. Uh, we don't make a baby version in the uh, the the, uh, the simpler version of the text. So a student can read something that is appropriate to their interests, their age group, anything their peers are reading, but they can read it at that lower level of text complexity if that's where they are, if that's where the challenge is for them. Uh, or a student who is searching ahead of grade level can be reading that more challenging material, but they can all be reading uh, in that pre-reading context. And in the software, uh, the teacher can lock student levels if they choose. They can also let the students pick the levels. Different uh, teachers want to do things differently in different environments. But if you've locked the student in, you can be uh, assured that the student is getting a, a challenging reading experience uh, regardless of where they are. Sometimes what happens is in these free reading environments, the students just pick really simple books, all the students do, regardless of whether they're advanced or not, uh, and then they're not really benefiting uh, as much uh, from that reading experience. So we can make sure that you're getting a good workout at the gym, just like your trainer would, and say, okay, well, you know, you need to go to the five-pound weight, not the two-pound weight, uh, and, and we can make that easy on the teachers. So I think that's one environment where, uh, where we've seen that we can be very effective um, but actually, we're how, really excited about. How do you do the placement? Is the placement done via testing? It's done based upon the teacher intuits where the where the student is at. Meaning, it's I see how this would be a very useful tool. But I guess, like any other tool, the teacher has to learn how to use it. So, how, how does Born Digital? Let's say you start, and I don't know how you define it. It's at level one. It's level seven. How how does that work? So that kid ultimately progresses. Uh, in terms of the reading, is is that automated? Is it is it? Yeah, I've asked the question. <laughs> give, give it a yeah. shot in terms of explaining it. So right now, uh, the way it works is the teacher has the option. Well, for when they upload uh, all the student accounts, Cradle student accounts, which probably done by a school administrator typically, they uh, can set a reading level for each student, and that could be based on some sort of assessment that they they do at that school, some kind of state test. Or it can be based on the uh, the uh, rating of uh, the individual teacher involved, or the reading specialist at that school. Uh, so every student will be assigned a grade level in the software, and uh, they, the student won't see this. This is all happening uh, behind the scenes, so they don't have to be told, "Oh, you're a second grader, third grader reader." You know, if you're uh, if an eighth grade student, um, but this will be set into the software, um, and then they can determine. They can either set the software to uh, allow the student to, to change. So if they find like, well, that really this, this piece is too advanced for me, or I want more of a challenge, or whatever it is, they can the student can either change it, or the teacher can set it so the student can't change it. And that's that's just you know we want to give make it easy for the teachers to set things up exactly how they want. You know they're the experts; they know what makes sense for their classroom. Um, now with some of our books, and eventually with all of our books, we'll have embedded uh, assessments, questions that the students answer at the end of every chapter or section, and then. Uh, a third option for the teachers, once we have enough of these in our books, a third option for the teachers will be to say, okay, let the Born Digital software, let the books that grow software, 
determine uh, whether the student should be advancing now, uh, or maybe maybe this is too difficult and the student needs an easier level. Uh, so once we have that completely rolled out, which we expect to have, um, we will be rolling this out uh, in all of our books over the course of the coming school year. Then uh, the the software will use algorithms behind the scenes and say, okay, you know, all right, I think you really mastered uh, reading level eight. Uh, you know, we're going to move you up to nine, so you'll get more difficult texts and more difficult questions, common core aligned questions. Uh, so that's the ultimate goal, and I think most teachers will be uh, will be excited to use that uh, functionality, uh, particularly in a free reading type context, but probably in a lot of others. And then the teacher, if they want, for example, to use, maybe they want to use one book, uh, they want to read it to the whole class at the same time, uh, you know, sort of group reading activity, well, then for that one book, they can lock all the students into a particular level. Uh, so there'll still be that kind of flexibility. So when, when a, a teacher gets faced, I don't know, an eighth grade teacher walks into their classroom and their dream was to teach out of whatever they're teaching, um, and uh, and they quickly assess the situation and discover that they've got reading levels from, from second grade to tenth grade uh, sitting yeah. in their classroom. By using Born Digital, they can still cover um, Lord of the Flies or whatever else it would be and, yeah. and discuss what they're discussing because um, it's not that the kids aren't intellectually capable. It's that they don't have the skills, and, and maybe towards the end of eighth grade, You'll have kids then reading on on a fifth through eleventh grade level, as each kids will, will will hopefully be able to progress at some point in time over the course of that year. Is that is that a fair description? Yeah, that is exactly the idea. So you don't want if you don't want to take uh, that eighth grade student and give them something that was really written for third grade students. The eighth grader is not going to be interested in the content that a third grader is going to be interested in. Uh, so there's really no better way to turn them off to reading than to give them uh, those baby books. Uh, so this allows all students to, uh, to read the same material. And it's really quite, it's quite uh, touching, honestly, to see this happening in classrooms. And I've seen a number of times, I've seen educators uh, really be surprised by what uh, their low-performing students can do once they, once you take away some of this barrier of, of text complexity. Uh, and, and we've seen students uh, who are advanced, interacting with students who are less advanced uh, readers and, and often less advanced overall. Uh, and they can have conversations about uh, a book that otherwise they never would be able to talk about. Also, for teachers, it's great, because you can imagine if you have four different groups all reading different stuff, that's a lot that you have to monitor. You might have to have slightly different lessons prepared for each of those groups. Uh, but now the teacher can focus on one lesson, teaching all the students together, leading a, a conversation with the whole class together. Uh, so hopefully uh, in those environments also will really save uh, teachers' time. And and what about what's it called? What about in in a in a math class or in a science class class where that student, uh, you know, in theory would be able to handle the information being given, but doesn't have the tools or the capability uh, to be able to continue to grow? Have you delved into into other subjects where where your books that grow can sort of level the playing field across disciplines in school? Yeah, I think that uh, as we grow, we'll continue to tackle. New subjects. Uh, right now, we have a variety. We're focused primarily uh, on social studies and uh, English language arts. We also have a lot of science content. We're not trying right now. Uh, we, we don't want to take on um, full full year textbooks. For starters, we're seeing that uh, in a lot of classrooms, a lot of schools, who aren't using textbooks as much as they used to. Uh, it seems to be a lot of teachers are moving towards a model where. Um, 
they curate different materials and bring them all together uh, to create their course. Um, so we could be one of those materials that they bring in. Uh, so our pieces, particularly in science, are more complementary. Uh, you know, and this kind of frees us up, so we don't have to deliver that you know the the, the drier uh, science material that uh, that the textbooks have to deliver. You know, we can deliver the complementary material that you know looks at a, a real life uh, use case of some uh, some uh, scientific discovery or technology or looks at the the story behind the discovery or the uh, a biography of an important scientist. We do all those kinds of fun things, a, a contemporary debate. Um, in social studies, we've been focusing on uh, both that kind of material, the, the original material that writers that we hire uh, create, um, but we also have a set of primary source documents. And uh, it's funny, originally we, we were not going to do that. We didn't think that would uh, appeal at all to educators and um and uh, a friend of ours uh, who's a social studies teacher in Minnesota, and um, he also is creating a social studies uh, online game, um, he said, you know, I would love if you could do this with some primary source documents. But I know a uh, hundred social studies teachers who would want to buy your product tomorrow if you could do this with some primary source documents, because otherwise we spend you know, a full day, a full class, trying to teach a primary source document, only get through the first two paragraphs, just too difficult to read. You know, if you think of the founding documents for our country, for example, written you know, in the, the 1790s, 1780s, I mean, uh, people wrote really differently back then, so it's very difficult for students to read that material. Um, so we started doing that, and that has been a huge hit. Uh, so that, that's a big focus of our library now. Um, okay, yeah, good. So, so now, now that we've discovered, and actually we'll, we'll, we'll sort of identify our station again for a moment. So you're listening to Tech sure. Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network, uh, here with R.E. Lightstone and Dr. Jason Buell uh, from Born Digital. And, and want to talk briefly at the end about some of the other companies that you're serving as a consultant for, because these their names inspire intrigue. Uh, you're listening to us on the jmtheaim.org or nachumsegel.com. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera. More than just a camera store, please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. Jason has been walking us through the, the first and foremost, the, the concept of uh, the, the bridge in between the study of the mind and the study of the brain and how uh, harnessing the two of them together would make for a more effective person, certainly a more effective student, and how he came from an educational academic perspective to get involved as the co-founder of Born Digital. Born Digital's product is books that grow. So a book you can, you can be reading, uh, Lord of the Flies or, or what have you and have 12 different reading levels in your classroom and that teacher would be able to assign the same book with the same basic content, uh, but readable um, by uh, by students of many different skill levels, which is which is a pretty awesome concept when you think about it. In theory, those who are advanced can continue to advance, and those who are not yet advanced can still keep up and and continue to grow, which is you know sort of you know the point of <laughs> of education to a great degree. And Jason was just walking us through sort of this appeal to be able to take primary sources, primary documents, and enable them to be. Uh, readable, even by some of the more advanced students in the class. Uh, those documents are very difficult to make heads or tails of. So, Jason, if, you, if you'll sort of just walk us through the conclusion of that process, then I want to get to, because, you know, it is Tech Talk. I, I want, if you'll drill into, for a moment, any of the technology components that uh, that you can share with our audience in terms of sort of how you do this and, and what that is, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about the business component of it at the end. Sure, terrific. Um, yeah, so, and I'll say one more thing about the uh, primary source documents, um, which is that 
you know, there's a lot of focus now, uh, particularly with the Common Core, on gathering that kind of information, looking at primary source uh, documents. But because they're often so difficult to parse, these older documents in particular, uh, it, it's really difficult even for grade-level students uh, to to read them until they get to pretty high grade. Um, and so I think one thing also that, that we can do is we can help educators uh, teach students about primary source documents at a much earlier stage, and they can delve into something uh, like the Declaration of Independence or like um, the autobiography of Frederick Douglass. That's a piece that's uh, mentioned in the Common Core Appendix, uh, and it's also in our library. Um, so, so teachers can introduce this much earlier, you know, grades before they otherwise would, so students can be thinking about primary source documents, and that will influence their understanding of really what uh, social studies and, and history is uh, much sooner, so then it won't be as much of a shock when they get to that, maybe at late uh, middle school or high school as it currently happens. Very interesting. Okay. And, uh, and so what, from a technology perspective, what, what, what needs to be built or what has been built or, or how does... How does this go from, I mean, it, it, it's, to me, the manual, I don't want to say labor, but the, the ability to adjust the books is, is, is incredible. You're distributing it via the e-books. Is there a technology play involved over here in terms of what you guys are building? Yeah, well, let, let me tell you a little bit about uh, where we are and also where we're going. Uh, so we decided initially to build... Uh, a platform. Actually, very early on, we thought we might be able to, we might build a standalone ebook that you could read in different ebook readers. We found we couldn't get the full functionality we wanted in those contexts, and we really wanted to unite the content in a platform that would allow us to, uh, to gather information, to present assessments to, to teachers, and also to students in ways that would, uh, help them, uh, advance their reading ability. Um, you know, we wanted to take advantage of the digital platform more fully, so we decided to build our own uh, software uh, platform and app, um, and that's Books That Grow. So all of our digital books exist in our platform. Uh, so we have an iOS uh, version, which is now in the App Store. Um, however, it's only available uh, to our paying customers. As I okay. said, we will move uh, later to uh, have a consumer version that they can download and use at home. Right now, we're uh, focused entirely on selling to schools. So it's only, this is a software that's only available to schools that have purchased a license from us. Uh, but if someone out there is interested, they can go on to our website, uh, which is bookstackrow.com, and uh, sign up there uh, for, a, uh, for a demo. If you're, if you're an educator, certainly we'll, we'll love to show you how it works. Um, and if you're interested for some other reason, just uh, send us an email through the website, and we'll be in touch. Um, but uh, so originally we decided to focus on the iOS platform because we really wanted to create that book-like reading experience, uh, you know, akin to using a Kindle or a Nook or iBooks on the iPad. Um, and, and so that's our premier platform right now. What we discovered, though, is that uh, there just aren't – there are many schools that have iPads, um, but uh, there are so many schools that really want uh, this software that don't. Uh, so we are right now about halfway through, uh, maybe even 65% through, uh, building a browser-based version of the software. It won't have um, the exact same functionality, but all these four features will be there. Uh, and 
so that way, any school that uses uh, Chromebooks, laptops, uh, what have you, will also be able to use uh, the software. And in fact, use other uh, kinds of devices like uh, Windows tablets. You'll also be able to use the software. It will adapt. Um, it, will, it will be responsive software. So we'll get to the, the tablet uh, shape. Um, and uh, and also we found that even schools that did have iPads, they really wanted to make sure that students could use this at home, whatever they have at home. Uh, so I think it's going to be really important for us, probably really all at tech moving forward, to be completely platform agnostic. Right, you need to be platform and device agnostic. Interesting. Okay, and from... So uh, again, we do we do trend to have uh, uh, teachers, students, uh, administrators, board members of schools uh, uh, disproportionately represented here uh, on our show. So I want to remind everybody that you can check out booksthatgrow.com, booksthatgrow.com, and sort of see the product, uh, uh, if you will, in action. You can certainly reach out to, to Jason, and, and they'll be able to arrange a product demonstration. Um, What's what's the goal here, Jason, from a business perspective? Understanding, obviously, that you guys are in uh, the first year or so of your company, so we can go lots of different directions. But uh, but what are you guys thinking? Yeah, well, I mean, our goal is uh, absolutely first and foremost to help students, to help students become better readers, so they can succeed in school and life. And because we think it's uh, crucial for our country to have people who are engaged and, and uh, well-educated and able to read the newspaper, right? It's hard to become a, a productive, engaged citizen if you, if you can't read uh, newspapers within your time, say. Um, but, uh, but as a business, of course, uh, <laughs> to do that, we're going to have to, to make some money uh, so we can be a sustainable uh, business. Uh, and, and so our, our focus is, uh, as I said, currently we're, we're signing to schools. We're trying to sell um, at the school or district level. Um, I, you know, I think it's... it's it's such a diverse environment. Um, you know, schools function differently, so many different ways. The, you know, if you're thinking about getting into ed tech, um, you know, even if you're coming from another area of tech, I'd say just uh, really spend some time learning about how schools work and what the sales cycle is like in schools. Talk to some people in that area because I've seen so many people come into ed tech assuming it's just going to be like other areas they're familiar with, and, uh, and it's just not. It's a very different sales environment. Uh, so we're learning a lot about that, and we're fortunate to have a few advisors who have uh, built successful products in the past, uh, sold them, and really know how the market works. Um, and without that, I, I, you know, what I've seen is that well, I tech companies that don't have that pivot uh, pretty quickly or die uh, because it's such a challenging sales environment. Um, yeah, it but, uh, is, and the cycle is interesting, right? You, you, yeah. you know, it's uh, it's not a daily cycle. There are certain key times of the year that are relevant. There's certain key times where you can actually then uh, integrate the product into what people are doing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I would recommend to the audience, if, if you haven't had a chance to read or to watch any of the Clayton Christensen uh, videos uh, or his books, uh, Google him, sort of see what's out there. He, he does a great description in terms of uh, sort of education as an industry and you really have to look at it as an industry and why it has been so slow to change and and one of the comments is if you look at all the things that we've done over the last 30 years there are very few industries that look similar to what they looked like 30 years ago we bank differently we shop differently uh, we travel differently and all of these are functions of technology but if you look at school if you look at education to a significant degree 
not not obviously not identical, but to a significant degree, education seems to look like education, which isn't a good thing. It isn't a bad thing. It's just a thing. And and the question is why. And uh, and uh, all the more credit to people like Jason and his partners and co-founders over at Born Digital. Um, trying to move the needle forward, trying to make a dollar while doing that, and there's certainly no shame in that, um, but, but ultimately building a product that for the betterment, for the betterment of classrooms, for the betterment of certainly of society, and that's, uh, that's really an admirable, pretty awesome, uh, thing that, uh, that you're doing. Just in, in, in the last two or three minutes that we have, can you share some of sort of like the, the, the highs and the lows of, 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 Look, there, academia is academia, and research is research, and and we don't have a show that talks about that. But <laughs> so, so, yeah. I don't have a show that talks about that. But if you were to choose a lifestyle that is is probably polar opposite in terms of the highs and lows from that, it probably resembles you know uh, being part of a startup. Uh, you know, can you talk briefly about what that sort of feels like and looks like? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. There are many differences. There's some similarities, particularly with the work I was doing, uh, you know, in, in science. Uh, it, it really is like you're running a small business. So, uh, you know, the, there's the, the, the PI, you know, the tanker track faculty member typically runs a lab. And then within that lab, you have a bunch of postdocs. You'll have graduate students, you'll have research assistants. Uh, you know, so these end up being fairly large groups. And, and I think uh, in some ways the thing that, I learned the most in my time in science and graduate school and both before and after is project management. You know, it's managing all these different people, uh, keeping them focused on this long-term goal. Uh, and, uh, and of course, that's crucial in a startup. And, and similarly, you know, you end up having to be willing to do everything, anything. You know, so, and I love this about being in science. You know, there were days where I was just trying to get some piece of software to work, writing some code, maybe just trying to program an um, experiment. Uh, other times I was trying to analyze the data. Uh, you know, there's, you have to write up, uh, grant proposals, you have to write up, uh, the final papers. So there's all, you know, it's just different every day. You learn to kind of jump from one thing to another. And that's what it's like being in a startup too. You know, some days we're writing those applications, some days we're trying to, to solve some technical problem. Uh, so in those ways it's actually surprisingly similar. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's uh, differences too. I'll tell you one difference. I went to South by Southwest this year. We were, uh, in the startup competition at South by Southwest EDU, uh, and there was just a lot more free food and alcohol than I've ever seen at any academic conference. So, uh, the crowds are a little bit different is, is what you're yeah. saying. Okay. That's interesting. But, you know, I, I think what, <laughs> it's a funny comment, um, or it's a funny realization that I guess you would pick up on. But, yeah. uh, but, uh, the, the similarities, I wouldn't have guessed that. And that to me was very enlightening and, and I very much appreciate that. Uh, I'm going to ask, uh, our audience again, first of all, want to thank you, um, Jason, because I, I think that you are, Again, a very interesting follower on Twitter. I think that the company bears following. Um, I think that from a from a um, impact perspective, you're addressing a critical need, and there's a pain point there uh, where I think that uh, you should not be sentenced. And I use that word uh, carefully. You should not be sentenced to your to the academic verdict based upon your reading abilities in third and fourth grade, and uh, and for the ability to be able to open your eyes and minds of the students in terms of being able to achieve greater than they've been 
dealt, I think, is it's just awesome. The, the fact that that can exist. That's a really special uh, and important thing. And, and much credit and kudos uh, to you and uh, and your team for for playing a role in uh, in making a difference in that regard. Um, so hopefully, uh, you know, in, in a little bit, you'll you'll come on and you'll sort of tell us uh, where we're at additional products and 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 how well books that grow is selling and 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 maybe even a successful exit. So uh, we look forward to having you on uh, future show future shows, Jason. Thank you. Thanks so much. I'd love to come back. All right. Have an outstanding day. Really appreciate it. Wanted to remind everybody out there who's been listening that you've been listening to Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Arya Lightstone. I uh, really had the privilege this afternoon of having on a friend of a friend, uh, Dr. Jason Buell, co-founder of, of, uh, of um, the, the product, sorry, is Books That Grow, but Born Digital, B-O-R-N-E, Digital, that company, uh, an advisor to other startups. And, and with the time remaining, I'm sorry that we didn't get a chance to ask about those. We're going to have to bring them back on and to, uh, and to have further conversations in that regard. Uh, you've been listening to us on jmdm.org or nachomsegel.com. As always, we are proud and grateful to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. If you didn't yet get a Mother's Day gift or Father's Day is not too far around the corner, I don't know if people give gifts for Lagba Omer or for Shavuos, but why not? Visit them online at adorama.com or go see them in person at 42 West 18th Street. Uh, like to close the show with something that we try to do uh, when we can on a weekly basis. Certainly the focus on education is near and dear to so many of us out there, to our, to our hearts, to our, to our wallets, uh, and, uh, and really the, the connectivity of, uh, of education being one of the primary things that we, we spend on and focus on uh, throughout our lives. Uh, but, uh, but Prime Minister Netanyahu was in the Far East, uh, over the last couple of days. And if you're following him in his office on Twitter, as you should be or could be, it's, it's an interesting follower over there, uh, really explained that, uh, the connectivity to the worlds of Japan and South Korea are really very strong in terms of, of being fairly small. Um, obviously South Korea and Japan much larger than Israel, but being fairly small, surrounded by people much larger, uh, in some of those cases, not necessarily by friends. And the ingenuity and the creativity that's required in order to, again, not just survive, but to thrive, to make an impact, to be relevant, to make a difference, uh, are ones that, uh, that, uh, that can be shared. And, uh, and to me, uh, being able to go to those countries as experts, as leaders, uh, in that regard, as opposed to going there to listen, that's pretty, pretty awesome. So I wanted to thank everybody for taking time out of your busy weeks to listen to another episode of Tech Talk. It's been a pleasure talking and sharing with you. Please feel free to tweet me at Lightstone A. Uh, any ideas, suggestions, or comments, constructive or otherwise, about the show. Looking forward to hearing from you. Can't wait to chat with you next week. Thanks again for listening to Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. Yeah, 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 yeah.